You're listening to a Toronto Centre podcast. Welcome. The goal of TC Podcasts is to spread the knowledge and accumulated experience of global leaders, experts, and world-renowned specialists in financial supervision and regulation. In each episode, we'll delve into some of today's most pressing issues as it relates to financial supervision and regulation. The financial crisis, climate change, financial inclusion, fintech, and much more. Enjoy this episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Toronto Centre. I'm Baba Kapasade, the CEO, and this is our discussion on building back better, our sixth and final one in the episode. Today, we will look at how central banking and supervision are evolving in the digital era. Since our inception in 1998, Toronto Centre has trained more than 15,000 central bankers and supervisors from 190 countries and territories to build more stable, resilient, and inclusive financial systems. Today, these objectives are more relevant than ever. COVID-19 and its variants are continuing to have a devastating impact in developing countries. According to the World Bank's latest estimate, almost 100 million people fell back into extreme poverty during this period. This pandemic has had a disproportionately negative impact on vulnerable populations, including poor women in cities and remote rural areas. On a more positive note, the pandemic has accelerated digitization in the financial sector, but there is no free lunch. With every opportunity comes challenges. For example, in developing and emerging market countries, the pandemic has heightened the urgency for supervisors to meet the challenges of underdeveloped digital financial services and infrastructure. This intensifies pressures on supervisors for monitoring systemic risks in the financial system and preventing cybercrime and fraud. Dealing with these supervisory issues is the subject of several Toronto Center courses. Today, our distinguished um, speakers will provide us with their perspective on these interrelated challenges. We have distributed their bios to you. Juan Pablo Arango Noriega is the president of the National Banking and Securities Commission of Mexico. Cecilia Kingsley is the first deputy governor, Central Bank of Sweden. Welcome Juan Pablo and Cecilia. It's great to have you with us today. Toronto Center's mission is generously supported by Global Affairs Canada, the Swedish International Development Cooperation Agency, the IMF, Jersey Overseas Aid, Comic Relief and the USAID. We will have three rounds of questions. I will pose alternating questions to each speaker and then I will take questions from the audience. Uh, I encourage you to use the Q&A tab to submit your questions. Let's begin. So for the first question, uh, Juan Pablo, I wanna go to you. So the pandemic has accelerated adoption of financial innovation around the world, especially in Mexico. You have a very large country with a complex financial system. As a senior supervisor, in your opinion, is the adoption of new technologies in the Mexican financial system happening as you expected? I wonder if, if you're answering this, when you're answering this question, can you also comment on, is it improving access to financial services for the poor, especially in rural and remote areas, including women? Thank you. Thank you, Babak. Thank you very much for the invitation to participate in this in this panel. Hello, Cecilia. It's, it's a pleasure to share the, the, the panel with you. Uh, it's uh, it's been a rough time in in, in all over the place, but uh, one of the things that pandemic has has brought to to us and, and I guess to many other countries is an acceleration of digital banking. You know? uh, we've seen uh, important changes in in in, in the access to to banking, to fintech, and other non-bank financial institutions that it's becoming more digital. You know? the, 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 the numbers, I, I, I don't want to go through in detail with the numbers, but uh, especially as you were, you were asking, uh, during the, the last two years, the number of mobile accounts per uh, 10,000 10, adults have risen 24% nationwide, and this increase has been higher in rural localities 
with a surge of 40% during the same period. So that gives you an idea of, of what is going on. No? Uh, the digitalization and financial access had started uh, well before uh, the for, for, a, for a country such as Mexico, the broader coverage of internet services and the broad uh, use of mobile mobile phones and and apps uh, allowed for for this for this acceleration to take place during the pandemic. You no, know? banks are at the heart of the financial system in Mexico, and they have been working. Uh, uh, with their with their main institutions uh, in in trying to give better uh, digital services to 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 the to the population as a whole, they've done a, a very important accompanied by regulation by uh, on, on remote onboarding. So for that they have been working uh, with biometric identification technologies. Uh, they have done also uh, the push a bit by the regulation they are entering into the open banking uh era no that they they will have to share the customers data when when customers want to share the data to get better services no uh, but this has not been restricted only to banks it has to be said some some banks instead of of moving their main institution towards the digitalization that some banks are doing it Others banks have chosen to create sister banks uh, within their, their financial conglomerates to have a digital, a digital bank, branchless banks to compete even with, with their main with their main operations. We, we have seen uh, the Mexican, the, the variety of, of financial services and the, the origin of shareholders in the Mexican system is so 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 wide uh, with, with banks from North America, Europe, and Asia. Uh, working in Mexico in, in, in all these things, no? Uh, but non-banks are also catching up and some, some specific deposit-taking institutions that are non-banks are also trying to do some efforts here and substantial investments are also coming into this system, no? Uh, our, our efforts to, to do this uh, uh, are, are, have been accompanied by, by our supervisory process uh, our regulatory process, especially in the area of onboarding and how much operations can be can be uh, made, what kind of operations can be made through uh, digital channels. No, these do not come without risks. No, from operational failures of, of the institutions that are, have to be monitored quite carefully. Uh, mitigation techniques have to be taken in, in banks, but we have seen, of course. A lot of uh, uh, risk there, and also, and also uh, on on cyber crime. That's something that has to be taken into account because when people go on the digital uh, uh, transformation, the, the digital use of, of banking, they have to be very careful on 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 and on this uh, this all work of education, so people can and uh, can protect themselves from from cyber cyber crime. That is. Uh, is also present uh, in, in countries such as Mexico. I would start there, Marek, thank you. Thank you, this is a really good overview and you highlighted some interesting challenges, especially with the non-bank and other institutions that are not, I guess, as well regulated, right? It's a challenge for all of us to try to cope with these issues. And by the way, I forgot to say, it's great to have you as our North American uh, partner. I used to be called NAFTA and I can't keep up with what it is, but <laughs> thanks. <laughs> And one point for our uh, audience would be very interesting. We have uh, participants from 55 countries ranging all the way from Albania and Argentina to Zambia and Zimbabwe and every letter of alphabet in between. I'm very impressed because in most of the parts of the world outside of the Americas continent, this is already touching your late afternoon, evening and well into the night. So that's great. And Cecilia, turning over to you, looks like you're call, talking to us from the jungles of uh, Stockholm. <laughs> and uh, it's a great background, I love it. So um, instability in the financial system disproportionately affects the middle classes and the poor. Despite advantages, financial innovations also create risks, including cyber risk, that can impact financial stability. This is already a very significant risk and is likely to grow considerably as online banking and other forms of digital financial services become even more prevalent. 
Would you please elaborate on the key steps in mitigating the increasing cyber risks in the financial system that you and other regulators and central bankers and are, are seized with? Thank you. Well, thank you, Babak, and uh, thank you, everybody, for, for tuning in uh, this Friday morning, afternoon, or evening. Um, um, well, let me first start with saying that I think digitalization is a, is a tremendous force that if it's harnessed in the right way, it, create, it can create a lot of, of, uh, of good effects to a society. Um, and what we have seen in terms of digitalization in the financial sector um, it's not new. It has been going on for decades, really, and we also see that it brings significant benefits. Um, we can see that it can increase in financial inclusion, um, but also enhance customer experiences of financial services of different kinds. Um, I think we're still in the middle of a very long wave of, of um, development here when it comes to digitalization. It is still increasing in pace. Um, and uh, my day's take is now pretty occupied by thinking about what is going on in the payment systems and the infrastructure that support payment uh, services in real time and the onboarding of uh, what's called fast payments in many countries. Um, and also other solutions that could enable faster and cheaper cross-border payments, which is something I could come back to, but it's certainly an area where there is so-called room for improvements when it comes to individuals' ability to make cheap and fast cross-border payments. Uh, but as lie in your question, the developments also come with increasing risks and it's crucial um, that the systems we build are, uh, um, uh, are built in a way that are both resilient but also foster innovation. And central banks uh, being the guardians of, of money in their respective countries on supervisors have a very natural role to fill here as being the guardians and the leaders when it comes to getting um, the, the cybersecurity in the financial world to work. Um, there has been obviously uh, a global trend of uh, global increasing trend of cyber attacks. Um, it seems to have accelerated with the COVID-19 pandemic with higher digital adoption and the working from home arrangements in many countries and societies. So how then to mitigate the cyber risks? Well, we first have to accept them. Um, my colleagues and I on the executive board at the Riks Bank, we have uh, spent a, a growing amount of hours, I would say every year and the last couple of quarters, learning about the IT systems, the IT providers, um, and making, making sure that that we know enough about this in order to be good managers and, and having the right governance in these kind of activities. So that's really the first advice I would like to give to anyone thinking about this. Make sure management understands and support the need for mitigation because it costs money. And then you have to make the sufficient investments. Following all the relevant regulation standards and guidelines are also essential because they change over time as we, we learn more about this. Um, another thing we've learned in, in, in my part of the world in building resilience is to have a well-functioning cooperation and coordination among stakeholders in the financial system. It's after all an ecosystem. And as with all ecosystems, if one unit or part gets in trouble, then it affects everybody else as well. Um, and we have quite a long history of private-public collaboration in the financial sector. Um, there is an organization in Sweden, we call it um, the Financial Sector Private-Public Collaboration. It uh, has an acronym called FSPOS, and it was founded uh, back in the early noughties. Um, and it has a focus on uh, exercising operational resilience it creates exercises for the Swedish financial sector as a whole, coming up with plans, exercising different kind of uh, attacks and different kind of crises is, is a good way to figure out where the gaps is. And over the years, FS, the acronym FSPOS has increased its focus also on um, cyber attacks. Um, the Riksbank and the Swedish Financial Supervisory Authority uh, is not only doing this, we are also working on a particular now cybersecurity strategy for the Swedish financial sector 
to further enhance cooperation and more clearly define roles and responsibilities among different stakeholders. Um, the area is constantly moving and, and one has to bear in mind that in case of cyber risks, uh, also new authorities come to play, uh, come into the play. Um, the authorities that deal with the financial sector, such as ourselves, must now learn to cooperate with authorities also that deal with national security and intelligence agencies. And the last thing I'll say about this one important conclusion that we have made in the RICS Bank is the importance of cooperate with other central banks. Uh, we have, for example, just taken the decision that instead of probably staying on to our known national RTGS system, our real-time gross settlement system, and in the future instead uh, moving to become a part of the Eurosystems platform for settlement in payments, which is called the T2. There are several arguments for why we want to move in this direction, but in this uh, case, what we're discussing today, uh, we think one of the reasons is that by joining the Eurosystem T2, we can then share resources with others, our neighbors in Europe, to achieve the highest possible level of cybersecurity, because it's costly and you need friends in this world. I'll stop there. I think we all need friends and we all need a hug, uh, Cecilia, given all the challenges that are happening right now. I like the way you connected the dots also in terms of it's not really a developing country challenge, as I mentioned in my opening remarks, but developed jurisdictions are very much seized with these challenges as well. Also, I like what you said about accepting them. So I don't know if that's the beginning of a serenity prayer or it just stops at accepting cyber risk and uh, trying to deal with that. Let me move to another question to you. Uh, it's another important risk, referring to risks arising from FinTech and the related outsourcing trend to the cloud and other associated risks. What are your views in this area? Thank you. <laughs> um, so I think, first of all, outsourcing brings clear benefits. Uh, it creates efficiency. Uh, it can actually also add security uh, because it's, a sense, in a sense, it's pooling of resources. This is particularly important if you are a small institution or work in a small, small economy that I, that I think Sweden is. Uh, but uh, outsourcing also bring a new set of challenges uh, that you have to address. Um, first of all, you have to know what a good procurement look like. Um, we have learned a lot about that. Uh, we outsourced our IT service provider uh, about eight years ago and we recently uh, changed from one provider to another. And each time you do these things, uh, you, you have to be really good at the details on, on what you're buying and, uh, and, and what you're not buying. So um, outsourcing is good, but, but know what you're buying. And there is, when it comes to cloud, there is a possible concentration risks here. The market for cloud services is heavily concentrated um, and it is important here that supervisors work to gain uh, an overall picture of, of dependencies that they, they, um, they have in their jurisdictions. Um, it could be very beneficial. It is beneficial usually for individual institutions, but outsourcing to cloud services may also lead to risks on the, on the system level. So here, um, uh, supervisors need to, to be on alert. Um, Second, regulations and supervision becomes also harder when important financial institutions outsource to cloud providers, which are very large corporations in, in many, uh, many cases. And here we sort of see a, an example of where, where the game is being leveled up. Uh, there, is a, uh, there has already been guidelines coming out from the BIS and the FSB. I know there is more important work coming out in this field. Uh, also, the European Union is working on, on addressing the risk um, when it comes to cloud services. They are producing a proposal for what's called a Digital Operational Resilience Act called the DORA. And a part of this DORA proposal is that EU will implement an oversight function of third party providers that will have um, uh, become systemically important for the financial system in the European Union. And I, I'm a great fan in, in um, recycling. Uh, and I, I hope that uh, this DORA initiative uh, that be would become an oversight function might be something for other jurisdictions to, to pick up and, and organize as well. Um, 
Cloud services um, are a type that can be, as I said, systemically important. There are not financial firms, that's not subject to financial regulations. They are not supervised as financial firms. Um, and as the use of cloud services increase, I think the importance of these providers becomes more critical for the financial system. Um, and um, the concentration risk for the financial sector um, well, current regulations stipulate that financial firms are responsible for their own outsourcing. However, with the mentioned concentration risks in mind, I think the risk for the financial system as a whole might exceed the risk for the individual outsourcing arrangements. So I think it will make sense that systematically important third party providers get supervised more directly. Um, the last thing I'll say about this is that um, we also see that big techs are coming in to the financial system, uh, coming in in some jurisdictions on quite a large and grand scale. And given the extensive reach of big firms, um, um, the impact of a movement into financial services could come with high speed and a large scope. Um, and this is something that regulators carefully need to assess. Um, the traditional answer usually is if there is same activity, it should face the same regulations. It's usually applied to financial services that sort of fall outside the scope of traditional entities. But I am personally not sure that that approach, same activity regulation is enough when it comes to big tech firms, because not only do they have great scaling capacity when they introduce new services, they can also be ex ante, have to meet criteria for being systemically important financial institutions and need to be treated accordingly. Um, big techs can really dazzle you. Um, so I think we are on the public side, need to think about whose interest we want to protect. And these are the things that are, I sort of repeat every, bed, every night before I go to bed, safety, efficiency, competition, inclusion, transparency, data protection public goods, basically. That's that's what we need to maintain. Thanks. Thank you very much, Cecilia. I'm very impressed that that's what you say before you go to bed. I think uh, you don't want to hear what I say uh, after a long, hard day, but uh, very interesting insights. Thanks. Uh, Juan Pablo, let me, let me turn to you. What have financial authorities in Mexico done to foster the use of new technologies in the financial system? Can you just give us a bit of it? considering all the risks we talked about, what have you guys done in that area? As in many other countries, uh, technology allowed uh, a rapid rapid development of new uh, services, uh, financial services in, in the industry. So Mexico decided to go to, for, a, for a regulation of financial, the use of financial technologies in the system and uh, to, to, to review its, its approach to the use of, of technologies um, uh, 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 service providers for, for banks and uh, all, all these important things that uh, Cecilia mentioned, no? But in, in it, it, we, we, we enacted in, in three years ago, a new uh, FinTech law in the country. Uh, I think it was uh, one of the first to be introduced. And it basically provided for two new uh, uh, fintech entities, uh, one for crowdfunding and uh, another one for e-wallets, electronic payment fund institutions. You know? So we've been working hard on this and uh, authorized already uh, more than 50, 50 fintech institutions in the country, more uh, a bit more on, on the electronic payments than in the uh, uh, crowdfunding side. You no, know? but. Uh, uh, th this this is gonna uh, give uh, strong uh, incentives for for competition, and it's gonna give uh, uh, so some of these companies can make a, a difference in giving access to to on uh, bank on uh, bank uh, people in Mexico to to get uh, services, especially in the area of payments, but also uh, in the area of 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 uh, lending. Uh, of receiving loans through the uh, this these collective financial institutions, uh, no, but uh, it doesn't stop there. Our financial uh, uh, technology, uh, uh, our fintech law also provides for for a regime of open finance, where all all the customers that want to share their their financial transaction data 
uh, uh, in, a, in a secure uh, uh, environment uh, can do that and, and, and obtain the benefits of, of uh, uh, other providers of, of financial services to do better uh, services for, for people. No? Uh, it also goes to, to, to the part of, of uh, uh, sandboxes, no? so, so we can see what, what are other forms of financial services provide with, with, uh, with the new technologies. No? So that's the part of, of our fintech industry that is, is, is growing quite rapidly in Mexico, again, with a lot of investment, uh, as already said by, by Cecilia, a lot of interest from, from small startups, but attracting, of course, the attention of, of big techs and, uh, and, uh, and providers of services in the cloud, in the cloud industry, in the cloud, cloud services and all these, these services that are so important. So, so we're and nowadays uh, looking at how, how to, to set the right balance between uh, inclusion, uh, the, the freedom of providing services, but the, with the security of data and, and protection of, of cost, customer data. Uh, let me tell you also that in the, in the field of, of technology, they, our own uh, uh, institution is it's doing great efforts to, to modernize it, it, the way it, it interacts with the, with the supervised entities. So we're using technology here. Uh, we're developing our subtech uh, framework to get data and to get to analyze data and, and, and to be able to spot emerging trends quite rapidly with the use of technology. You know, this has been facilitated by support and working together with the, with the United Kingdom and, and support from the World Bank uh, to get specialized training of staff and the, uh, and the construction of a roadmap to, to better uh, uh, equip ourselves for, for this challenging uh, uh, use of technologies and, and, and to do our regulatory and supervisory work in this area. So uh, I think I, I think that that is uh, the the main messages here. Our our fintech industry developed under under a strong uh, uh, regulatory uh, footing uh, framework, you no, know, together with this, these opportunities, but also allowing banks uh, and accompanying banks in in providing uh, uh, this this uh, technological service, starting from onboarding, but also the operations on 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 deposit taking credits and, and and other activities working together with the central bank in Mexico for this for this uh, uh, rapid changes that we're seeing in the area of payments you no know, where where we collaborate with the central bank and, and other authorities in Mexico to see that this uh, digitalization of payments comes fast uh, comes to, to give uh, a lot of opportunities to Mexicans, but uh, also, uh, as Cecilia was saying, uh, on a strong basis no, of, of security and protection of data. Thank you very much. It sounds like a very thoughtful approach and good luck to you and Mexico for a strong implementation. Cecilia, turning to you, uh, amongst other uh, responsibilities, you are also chair of the future of Payments Group of the Committee on Payments and Market Infrastructure, or CPMI. What role um, do cent does central bank digital currencies play in improving the digitization of payments, especially cross-border payments? Thank you. Well, thank you. Um, so that's a super interesting question, so, but I will try to uh, be fairly brief. So. Um, um, the G20 identified um, about a year and a half ago that there was room for improvement when it comes to making cross-border payments cheap and faster and transparent for individuals. Um, so uh, an agenda consisting of 19 building blocks were put together. Um, 16 of these building blocks are focused around uh, improving the current systems in different, many different ways. Important job are being done in these building blocks. And I was honored to um, chair uh, the three last building blocks, which is looking into um, technologies and possible infrastructures that not yet exist on a, on a grander scale. Um, so it is about uh, 
creating interoperable platforms. That's building block 17. It is stable coins, whether they can be used in a, in a safe way to improve cross-border payments. And last but not least, building block 19, whether CBDC, central bank digital currencies, can play uh, a role in a cross-border perspective. Um, I don't know how this will play out. Uh, we published a first report in July um, where we took you did a stock taking about current projects um, and looked into possible models where CBD, uh, C, C, CBDCs can be used for cross-border payments. But our work continues uh, and we will go deeper into these issues. Um, so far, um, most of the um, examples we have been looking into has been um, more wholesale CBDC, so not accessible for individuals. But we all know, and, and my own country is, a, is an example of that, many countries, central banks are looking into CBDC also for, for retail use, meaning some kind of digital cash being, being a default option for those who doesn't want to or doesn't have access or not being let into um, the con conventional payment system with, with bank accounts and, and, and the likes. Um, and as domestic CBDCs are being launched in various countries going forward, because I, I think that is something we will see, um, one can also start to think about how domestically used and created CBDCs could be fit into uh, making it possible for use them for cross-border transactions. And this is way ahead into the future. Um, and a lot of work around this remain. Um, but my aim is to try to provide the G20 government this or called sort of a roadmap or perhaps almost like a blueprint for if the will is there, how uh, retail CBDCs could be used also for cross-border payments. Well, well aware that these are questions about legislation and national decisions that, that every country need to, to be taken. And as I said, a great lot of great work is, is happening in the many, many building blocks uh, about standards, about service levels, etc. I don't think CBDCs are, are the one and only solution to the cross-border payment frictions that we, we have observed, uh, but it's certainly an interesting issue to, um, to work with. Thank you. Thank you very much. We certainly would love to learn more about uh, your work at CPMI, so whenever things are available, be happy to share it with our uh, community as well. Thank you. Um, Juan Pablo, I'm going to go to you as the last structured question. We have a number of questions from a, a bunch of people, uh, and I want to get to them. Um, so my last question to you is, could you please share with, uh, share with us your views on KYC obligations? For those who don't know, this is the Know Your Customer and opportunities for cross-border payments, including for remittances in Mexico, and if you know anything about other jurisdictions, but if you could just address that a little bit. Thank you. Thank you, Babak. I think it complements, uh, it comes nicely after after the last part of, 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 of uh, Cecilia's intervention in, in, in the aim of, of how, how to, to use technology, cross-border transactions at the retail level, no? So those efforts, technological efforts that uh, Cecilia was, was mentioning have to be accompanied with a due diligence and a very good work by financial institutions that will be involved in this kind of future transactions in, 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 in the aim, as you put it, know your customer, know that we, we create safe systems even at the retail level for these transactions to take place. And uh, the Mexican case is a very important having having a, a, a a very important source of, of income for, for the economy and a, a strong relationship with migrants of Mexican migrants living living in, in, in North America and other parts of the world and having to make these transactions in a safe way. No? So what we have been doing is to work with institutions also in this in these efforts that we we better use technologies to work on on, on know your customer obligations that institutions must meet to comply. With the regulation, no, uh, there will be a cost on this, but this is well paid to construct safer systems where those those uh, movements of, of of payments are safe and uh, proof uh, proof uh, against uh, any threat to integrity of these systems. No, 
uh, we are in line working in, in another standard setting body here, the, 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 the FATPA, no, uh, uh, we, we are members of the, and work together with, with all our colleagues there to, so to enact and, and guide, guide all our efforts worldwide to have a, a comprehensive set of rules and, uh, and directives and, 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 and guidance from FATPA on how, how institutions should be, should be moving. No? That is at the international level, but domestically, I mean, we're working uh, hard on, on, on how this, these accounts can be open when they're gonna be used, uh, especially for, for cross-border transactions, you know, what kind of identities can be used. There's a very important effort here that has to be done outside the financial regulatory uh, authorities uh, 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 remit, you no, know, with, with those uh, issuing, those identities no that can have a strong biometric foundation no that so so people can be identified easily when doing a transaction in the retail payment so we're working uh, with the minister of finance uh, the minister of foreign affairs the central bank and the uh, development banks in mexico to to have a joint strategy strategy that aims to reduce costs and risk related to the remittances received by the families of migrants no uh, we are working especially uh, uh, with a development bank so, so uh, things can be moving quite fast uh, and uh, and they uh, they get to 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 the uh, corners of the country where migrants uh, send send their money so uh, this development bank is making efforts to to have not only uh, uh, digital uh, opportunities but also uh, as it's part of of, of uh, of our rural areas and, and poor areas of the country also will have to have some physical presence of, of a development bank to, to have these, these, these transfers to made to be made more easily. No? Um, and uh, we will be working with uh, cooperatives and, and other credit unions no? at the very base of, of, of the pyramid to, to, to work on, on, on this uh, identification of clients so our systems that we develop in the area of retail payment systems cross-border are, are safer, no? Um, so this is basically what, what has to be done in, in working with the, with, the, with the private sector here. And, but the efforts that are being done internationally to set standards on the identification of, of clients at the retail level, it is very important for us uh, to work collectively with other countries so we, we can under, understand each other's when we, we come to this, this phase that Cecilia was talking about, that the development of this retail cross-border cross payment systems are, 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 are used uh, effectively no? to, to, to get the aims of, of, of needs, very specific needs, such, such as in Mexico, the case of remittances. Thank you very much. Um, now we're going to move to the open section. I acknowledge a number of people who have put questions, uh, Calvin, Betty, Jose, others. We'll do our best to get to all of your questions. Let me start with a question for you, Cecilia. Your question prompted uh, um, uh, one of our viewers to say the Swedish public-private partnership to test cybersecurity risk is amazing. Could uh, BIS work with you to develop and share this approach with other jurisdictions to help them be ready for and address risks? What are the plans to make this a little bit more available? Um, that's an excellent question. Um, um, I um, haven't really thought about how to do that, but uh, I take that as an encouragement to uh, get in touch with my our colleagues at the BIS and. Uh, See if we can be of any help to uh, to um, to scale to scale up the knowledge about how to make these arrangements. We have good experiences from it, so I I, I think it's worth distributing. Good, thank you so much. And uh, Juan, I'm going to go to a question from uh, one of our friends and former program directors, Calvin. Hi, Calvin. Calvin Johansson. Um, with El Salvador's use of Bitcoin. 
which really surprised a lot of us, right? Like they actually, they, they decided to use it as their uh, fiat currency. Can you comment on any ripple effects in Mexico and how your supervisors are including consideration of cryptocurrency developments in their supervision work? Thank you. Thank you. That's that's an, another important area of, of, of development. It's also also in Mexico. Our approach has been completely different, but but we, as I said earlier, in, in our fintech law, there's there's a special section about uh, crypto assets. No, so it basically says that a uh, uh, financial financial intermediate is regulated and supervised uh, intermediaries can operate uh, with those. Uh, crypto assets that the central bank authorizes. No? So at the moment, there is none of those crypto assets authorized. So our financial uh, uh, service providers, banks, non-banks, stock brokers, fintech, in, fintech firms, and all this cannot operate uh, in front uh, in services for their clients with 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 crypto assets uh, up to the moment. No. So uh, this this has two important consequences. I mean, uh, they they can use they can still use the technology behind the crypto assets for back office operations or even the the crypto assets. But the the this regulation uh, 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 doesn't allow them to to operate with their clients on 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 buying crypto assets or denominating uh, financial transactions in crypto assets. No, I think it, we all know that. Uh, at the moment, uh, this is an area uh, moving quite fast, and and these these services do not look like a, that, that comply with the functions of money. Probably uh, some types of of investments uh, more on the speculative uh, area. So our approach in Mexico has been very different with this. We see a lot of volatility, uh, lack of transparency on these systems, so as as to. Uh, uh, permit that the whole financial system can get involved in 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 this part. No, of course uh, the other uh, let's let's say that uh, there will be some platforms providing the system for buying uh, or trading with the with the with the uh, crypto assets. Those are outside their regulatory perimeter. They can sell business in Mexico, but will not be regulated by by the by the financial authorities. That that is so far our approach. Uh, Babak and I think uh, it, it's uh, until we see and, and especially uh, more that these these crypto assets can work uh, fine, uh, we will we will uh, be pay attention to this. That doesn't entail that uh, the, the development of stable coins are not looking uh, in a different way in Mexico. No, and if I I was telling you that our fintech law provides for these electronic payments in wallets, no, those are firms regulated firms that can distribute among their clients payment payment uh, uh, facilities, cards, electronic payments, mobile payments, no? And if I was going to put it, I mean, those firms will have an investment regime with the money they get from people. People will be doing payments all through the day with their electronic e-wallets, but at the end of the day, the resources have to be kept safely, no? In, in bank accounts, they can be kept uh, at the central bank or, or invested in, in treasury securities. So that that could give you a, a view that uh, we were not we will not be far away from from this concept of stable coins and much more conservative and regulated. No, that the funds collected by these firms are kept uh, safely in 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 with an investment regime that I already described. No. Thank you. Thank you, it's very thoughtful there. Um, Cecilia, we got a congratulations from our friends in Brazil. So thanks for helping us get that. Uh, so the question is, do you believe the future financial crises will spread faster and faster through the financial system due to strong digitization of markets? And what can, um, and that supervisors or central bankers will have to come up with ever faster responses. So what's your view on that? Are we just putting ourselves in a treadmill and just chasing our tails all the time? Uh, that's also an excellent question. I, I've, I've learned the hard way. You should try to avoid uh, making forecasts about the future. Um, uh, I, I need to do that as a policymaker. I need to stand for something and then I make, have to make my policy decisions based on that. 
Um, but it's, it's really hard uh, to know. But just taking the history as a guide, um, yes, uh, when more and more things go real time, um, then potentially uh, troubles can also uh, move faster. Um, but uh, that said, um, we have also uh, learned a lot about how to mitigate these things, both ex ante and also when it happens. Um, and I, I, I like to think about the financial system. Um, a parallel that I like is, is the aviation system that we have built in the world in the last 70, 80 years. Most of us are pretty happy walking into a plane and sitting down on the chair and takes us from A to B. And we, we usually have quite a faint idea, well, no idea at all about how it actually works. But when we trust a set of complete strangers um, that they have done their job, so I will be delivered safe in a safe way. And I think it's a bit like the financial system. Um, we, we need on the public and the private sector side um, carry on to develop it because we have to. I mean, because technology moves, society moves, people's preferences changes, and then we have to uh, be there and, and making it as safe and efficient as we, we can. We can't, stop, we can't stop time, we can't stop the future, but what we can do is to, to make it as, as, uh, as um, inclusive you know, and secure and resilient as all these things I, I mentioned before. Yeah, that's really about all we can do, right? And yes. uh, especially in a world where uh, there's an erosion of uh, faith and trust in authority, right? We're seeing that in so many different ways. So, yeah. So, um, uh, Juan Pablo, let me go to you on this one. Uh, not a question. This one, actually, uh, I'd like to also, you know, not only you're not only a supervisor, you're also a former central banker, right? So in a, you have a very interesting vantage point. With respect to open banking, one of the most important concerns is related to information security when the information is in the hands of third party participants for whom uh, cloud, uh, uh, I mean, would not be easy to reach. So what can be done about that? Um, how, how to deal with it from a, from a vantage point of view as an authority when it comes to open banking and information security and all that? That's, that's a... a, a one of the issues that is on top of our agenda these days, uh, Babaka, uh, it's, a, it's a very challenging issue, no? I mean, back how to protect uh, customers' data, and, uh, uh, and they have been working on that, but uh, uh, they, they got to be very careful on how they, they, they manage this information, to invest more in technology so this, is, this doesn't come to to the in, an area of, of uh, the, 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 uh, where, where operational risk is, is, is still high, but uh, there are some, some technology, technological developments that, that can mitigate these risks, no? And also, uh, um, uh, so, so that's on the part of those that are, uh, have the data, customers' data today, and, and they administer this, this, this data, but now that this data could be shared with third parties, no, uh, this this has to be uh, uh, very. Uh, it has to be done in a very very safe way. I don't have a, a precise answer to this. No, to, to to be frank, but we're working on this, on 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 the standards we'll be using for this for this sharing of data among uh, the, the those that are, have the data and those that are, uh, want want to use the data and, and provide the data. And together, that will also have to be. Uh, uh, deal with uh, financial education on the side of customers, no? Because at the same time, as I was saying, during the pandemic, uh, because of cyber crime and all those things, uh, we were uh, financial authorities and financial, uh, and financial institutions, uh, principally, they were uh, telling uh, customers to protect their data, to keep it safe, do not share your data, but that was basically your access data to your account and all these things, no? In open, in open banking for, for customers to benefit from, from these services. Now the, the, the challenge is to, to, to convince people that it's good to share, to, that their transactions data can be, can be seen and analyzed by others in order to make a better, better use of that, those, those um, uh, 
experiences of data, of transactional data to get better services. This is at the retail level, but especially I think where we are gonna do a lot of progress and there's a lot of interest is in the area of using small and medium-sized enterprises transaction data with financial intermediaries. Here, I feel more confident that the information can be protected better better managed, no, uh, it's not, not such a big amount of data, and where services can be provided with very, very good, very, very high impact, no? If small and medium-sized enterprises were to get better finance and in better terms, uh, thanks to, to the use of, of this, this uh, sharing of, of their data, I think that that's an area that we want to be, uh, where we want to move very, very fast, no? Thank you. And uh, Cecilia, there's a question here um, from our courageous anonymous questioner. So I say courageous because they wouldn't put their name down, but I think it's a good question. What initiatives are your is your organization taking to train and develop uh, your authorities, your you know your um, and and also your Swedish uh, uh, supervisory authority to deal with the need to address emerging risks? from digitalization and the new technologies. Do you have special training or anything that you're trying to foresee challenges, trying to equip your people with that? Is that an active concern? Um, I, I, yes, of course, it's always an active concern that um, you, you don't like bad surprises. Um, um, but digitalization has been ingrained in the Swedish society for 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 decades, um, um, and but it's and it is interesting because we we move from a world when everything was sort of physical, uh, and and um, if you think about, um, I got my first share um, when I was um, ten or eleven. It was a piece of paper, very grand pr uh, product, um, and the ownership was sitting in that paper. Um, and then things digitalized, uh, and now I have an account, uh, and I can sort of I can print it out on paper. But usually I don't because I don't have to. It, uh, ownership is now sitting in zeros and 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 ones uh, in the computer system, and I, I think my shares are now uh, sitting on a database with Euroclear. Uh, it's in a server outside Paris in France. So we have just in a in a course of a generation we have moved from a world where uh, everything was on paper and was physical to hardly anything is on paper anymore. And you may know that Sweden is a bit of a poster child when it comes to um, cash very rapidly going out of, 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 of being used. Um, so, so we have been struggling on, and, and, but also seen the possibilities in this area for, for a very long time. And I wouldn't say that there are any particular educations or, or, or um, pushes in that direction. Um, but I think the mindset is important to, to acknowledge that technology is actually, if you harness, the, harness it in the right way, it can actually do a lot of good to society. And every time, every, as you do that, um, think about what are the stakeholders here and strike up a conversation with the stakeholders like we are trying to do when it comes to uh, the question of whether cash should actually um, not only be phased out in line with what people in the Swedish society prefer because it's up to the Swedish individuals really how much they want to use cash versus other payment methods. Um, and we should be there and provide um, a center back digital currency as a default option for those who who wants to be able to carry on using central bank money. Um, so communicate with the stakeholders uh, and build relationships. Um, and you find after a while that these relationships can last for decades and then you can really do uh, some tremendous reforms when, when you need it. I don't know if this was much of an answer, but it was trying to point out what sort of mindset I think you should have as you are a part, whatever, if you are the private sector or the public sector, you need no. to talk to the other guys across the road. Absolutely. I mean, uh, you're talking about a disruption. I mean, you were talking about your paper certificate shares. And now if you have a 
shares in with a discount broker, actually, you don't really own the shares. It's you're the beneficial owner. They own the shares. So the, everything is sort of disrupted. No, your, your answer is actually very thoughtful there. Uh, let me uh, turn to you, um, Juan Pablo. It's an interesting question. It's a little bit long, but let me, in, let me indulge, indulge me, please. A significant share of the evolution in the digital era has been through disruption of the tested business models and delivery channels. One of the observations around the emergence of innovative channels and business models is relative lack of appreciation for the risks relating to conduct of business, particularly in relation to the treatment of customers by the new uh, digital entities and in delivering through digital channels. So that's the background. So how do you manage these risks while ensuring that the innovative models continue to be encouraged to drive objectives like financial inclusion? Yeah. <clears throat> This is a, a, a very, very, very interesting question. And I think it hits also our current uh, uh, situation in Mexico, Baba uh, Cecilia, in, in the sense that as I was explaining, we, we, we decided to go for, for our regulated fintech industry and to put the, the, those uh, entities that we decided that uh, it needed to exist at the moment in Mexico to put them within our regulatory framework, no? And outside, there, that, that would be, an, in consequence, that would not be permitted, no? So, so as part of this effort that we've been doing to create this system and authorizing new legal entities on this, we have to have, we have also at the same time have to go out and close down and find and, and, and also persecute people that are doing what it's now with this legal framework, what is illegal, no? So one, some some activities that came, so, so some people thought that uh, that was going to be easy, you know, because the technology allowed, so payments, investments, lending, and all these things could happen very easily, because all this technology allowed and copying models from even uh, Mexican entities or even entities outside, we saw a strong development in this. So we, when we said, well, now the law is enacted. And all those firms that want to continue operating, we didn't stop any, any, any firm to continue operating. Now there's a clear framework and they have to approach the authority and get a license and all these things. All those that want to test something that is different from ours, from what we have here, have to be very careful of what they're doing. If it is similar to what we have in law, come to the authority, let's do a testing on all these things in a controlled uh, environment, the, the, the so-called sandboxes, no? And we're, we're doing that. We, we've been less successful on that part, I must say, with that, with the, with the regulated framework. But uh, unfortunately, some other people uh, don't understand, and that's to protect people and to conduct a business uh, and, and to appreciate the importance of, this, of, the, of doing this, we have to have to go out and, 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 and close down some, some platforms that we're not conducting, find them and uh, even, even, even stronger uh, uh, sanctions for, so, for some people. No? And that's been happening in Mexico in the last two years the, in an in important manner. No? Great, thank you. Cecilia, I'm gonna give you the very last question and request that you uh, please respond to it in no more than one minute because we're coming towards the end. Uh, so some big jurisdictions, or at least one I can think of, has uh, rejected licensing crypto uh, currencies. Do you have any thoughts on that? Like, is this something that we can, governments can um, ban? Uh, is that conversation happening? And what is the implication of that? Thank you. Um, so, that, yeah, that's going to take more than a minute, but I, I'll, I'll very briefly, I think, um, um, it, if we're living in a free world where uh, people want to uh, explore new technology, uh, cryptocurrencies, uh, crypto assets, certainly new technology, uh, they want to try to make money out of it. Um, that's probably a part of, of a, an open society, the market economy um, that sort of resonates with me that um, that should be accepted. But, and there's a important but in, in this, which is that um, it must not be uh, mixed up with 
um, what I call the conventional and regulated financial system. So it can't be a situation where people think, oh, well, it's about, about the same thing buying uh, a cryptocurrency like having a bank account or it's about buying cryptocurrencies like having uh, a mutual fund. Um, it's very important, I think, that the public sector points out what is being, where are they protected as consumers, as, as uh, regulators, and, and where are you on your own, which you basically are if you are in the, in the crypto world. You're, there's no chance, guarantee that what you put in is what you also will take out. On the grander scale, I think the crypto currency world has pointed out to central banks that we are in a competitive business, central banks, um, that there are others who would like to uh, provide society with, with money as well. And, and that's one of the reasons why I think we have to step up and be more ambitious when it comes to making payment systems more inclusive and more competitive and, and cheaper and faster for people. Because otherwise, people who are not happy with the current fiat money system, they will find other solutions. And I think it's a failure for the fiat money system if people feel forced to go to crypto and, and the likes that, um, in my mind, uh, doesn't really meet the criteria of what is good money. Good money is a stable store of value and it's an efficient medium of exchange. And so far, I haven't seen much of that in the crypto world. Thanks. Thank you very much. Because it was such a complicated uh, question, I gave you an extra minute. So, <laughs> and uh, I wanted to thank both of you, very articulated uh, uh, speakers. And uh, I'm seeing a lot of excitement and questions from follow-up and all that from the audience. So you definitely, uh, did and exceeded our expectation. Thank you so much. And uh, we hope to see you at future Toronto Center events and programs and namaste. Take care, bye. Mm -hmm.